bagels and locks, dude. Bagels and locks is catnip for juice. Mm, I don't know if I'd put that in the podcast. That's bad. <laughs> You're going to get canceled. Thanks for checking out Party Like a Rockstar podcast. I'm your host, Joel Miller. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. They're delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk, and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. There's no vegetable oils, soy, fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. It's lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher perev, and 100% vegan. Enjoy the show. It's funny, actually. I jumped on here with some friends just to play like a, a game. And um, it was weird not hosting. <laughs> and I was just, I was like quiet on here going, I feel like I need to say stuff and like push things along. But it, <laughs> oh, this is strange because I've never been on a Zoom call when I wasn't doing this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was weird. So anyway, you ready well, to give your brother a hard time? <laughs> oh um dude uh, uh, he said he was he should be there he said he was available oh, we'll see i'll come on in a couple minutes i'm come sure on, there i just sent the easy text of dick that should work you should respond that should that should get it going should i go get my bon jovi record and hang it behind me <laughs> Jesus, what what boy band do you have behind you? Is that Jugs of Mud? The Jars of Clay? Yeah. Yeah. Jugs of Mud. <laughs> <laughs> the other band. Well, there's a story behind that because we're Glenn, that was like Glenn's first professional LD gig, like okay. a real big one. Okay. And uh in the shop in Nashville, we thought we were being funny by writing instead of writing jars of clay on all the cases we were writing jugs of mud and uh we got a stern talking to from the ld about professionalism and how it <laughs> there's professionalism <laughs> in the music industry <laughs> like, you can't make fun of my first band i'm ever going out with this company called misha's cheese and they wanted to put like a little logo thing on the bottom of the cheese so when you finish the cheese it says something or there's something to it. Like this so band I, is Gouda? It is Gouda band. So I said to him, uh, MT. I, you know, I thought about it because I was just fly on the wall there. I, I don't think I was supposed to have an idea, but I'm like, MT. So he goes, what does that mean? I'm like, think about it. And I'm thinking all these years later, like, ha, 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 you know, it's not just for road cases, MT. And, they, and then when they finally got it, he goes, hmm. That's well, a good one. It's a good one. He's like, mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's where that it's like when you have the room for just in case. Yeah, yeah. I always had a guy on my rooming list called Justin Case. It's good. That's a good okay. One. Let's do the intro. <laughs> Helen Waits, another one. That's, I like that one. Glenn Filton has toured with Tori Amos, Peter Frampton, John Fogarty, Bonnie Raitt, Boston. The Spin Doctors, Keb Moe, Alabama. The Zach Brown Band, Ozfest. Guns N' Roses, Cher, Jackson Brown. Steve Miller Band, Journey, and Jars of Clay. Russell Felton has worked for Kiss, The Dixie Chicks, The Dead Tour, Shania Twain, 
and was a lighting tech for some little company called PRG. <laughs> yeah. How are you too? Good. I can't remember half the bands I've worked with. I mean, I, I look, I see a box of itineraries up my attic and I go, oh, look at them and go, oh yeah, I did that tour. <laughs> Is there I'm doodles on my... all the pages? Nope. Just fold overs and countdowns from when we can go home. Oh, it's like prison sentence. <laughs> a couple of them were. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they were. I bet they were. <laughs> All right. So you guys are the first family members on here, which is your mom and must be proud. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but well, I don't know about that either. <laughs> but when you release the podcast, since we are twins, can you make sure that it's either like number 44? So it's like a, you know, oh, we could do oh. that. 44 would mean a lot more work though. <laughs> Maybe we get 44 views. That's possible. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to, uh, I was going to introduce you guys with the different bands. Cause I thought it would be funny. <laughs> be like, well, hey, well, you know, this we both well. seem to, we both seem work to... for the Thompson twins. Yeah. <laughs> well, right, so we I'm going to are... jump. Sorry. Go what did you say? No, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So I'm going to jump into a couple of stories that you guys prompted me on that I am, I'm very eager to know about. Uh, I'm going to start with my favorite one here. So it's <clears throat> some lady rigger at a venue thought that Glenn was Russ. Oh, <laughs> Glenn, why are you bringing that one up? I thought it was funny. Oh, What's yeah. the story? Because I don't know it. All right, so this was uh, out on Journey, and uh, it, uh, yeah, it was Journey, and we were just loading into, I think it was Apple Blossom? Yeah, definitely. Blo it's not Apple, it's Blossom. Yeah, Blossom, the, whatever the big it is. Thing. Anyway, so do the whole load in, and it's just doing everything that I got going on, and then all of a sudden we get loaded in, and this, uh, you know, this girl comes up to me and goes, I almost dropped a shackle on you today. And I was like, uh, okay, did we say something on the end? Did something happen? And she's like, no, no, you know who you are. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. Uh, do you think I'm Russell? And, and she's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You look just like him. Oh, oh. So, mean. so mean. Or maybe that's a compliment. See? I don't know. No, she was hot. She was not happy at all that i looked like russell so yeah well wow. she wasn't happy when the real russell was there either let me tell you so <laughs> so that was that was that one to where how many like, shackles did she throw at you russ <laughs> um she didn't throw shackles but she definitely managed to kick whatever shit out of the ceiling she could on my head uh and on at the dimmer racks way to win them over way to go and I can't say that every relationship I've had has been 100%. Yeah, even my, even my production manager on that one, old Scrimo, man, he came up to me and he's like, do uh, everything okay? I said, as far as I know, it's okay. I mean, I didn't do anything. So, you know, because he was concerned because she was quite, she was quite upset. <laughs> That's great. Did you guys well, see the one with the uh, so Jose Canseco, the baseball player? He has a twin brother, and it was a it was like a celebrity boxing match, and he sent his brother in. He didn't go. Oh, 
<laughs> and then it that came sounds- out afterwards, obviously, which is why I know about it. But uh, it wasn't really Jose Canseco fighting. See, we no, did that we in high school on gigs. We did that with Randy Travis. I remember that. <laughs> what happened? Uh, Russ was out on the tour. And then he had been called, uh, it was either when you started KISS or something like that. And we were both working for, well, PRG, LSD, whatever, Nashville at the time. And he sent, uh, whatever the case was be, he couldn't be there for that weekend. And they had one weekend and they're like, why don't you just go, Glenn? They don't have to change the name on the hotel. They don't have to do, the band's very comfortable and Randy's very comfortable with seeing Russell and what they're doing. And so I went out, didn't say anything, went to the airport, checked in, knew the guys, said, hey, sat with Tom Roberts, the, the, uh, the LD, and we just had a, you know, flew. So how did long did you day. pretend to be him? I got all the way through the end of soundcheck before somebody just kind of said, why isn't he talking to us? <laughs> <laughs> so when Randy finds out he's going to, you know, the song, you can dig two graves yeah exactly <laughs> there you go man both you guys are gonna be yeah yeah but it wasn't that crucial it was just one of those to where it's like uh, they just didn't want to throw in a whole new face and have to explain what happened why are you changing out crew and it's like it, it was easy just to go whoop, and you know there you go so what you're saying is russell's easily replaced well there's a couple <laughs> stories why there's isn't he picking his nose it's always picking his nose <laughs> Well, and other things. And the the other way that that story could go, there's a couple of them. Our boss at Light and Sound Design uh, at the time, his name's Barry Claxton. I think he's Barry. I know Barry. He's he's over at Sprainworks. Well, Glenn, they they even made mistakes. So they booked a they booked a ticket for Glenn in my name, and so I actually had to FedEx my license to him so that he could fly because it was too expensive to change the ticket. But instead of someone FedExing my license back, because I had to fly out like two days later, someone drops it in the regular mail and I couldn't even rent a car. I couldn't do anything because someone thought it was funny to snail mail it back and have me stress about flying in a few days. It showed up the day I left. Like I waited for the mail and then sprinted to the airport. I can't believe you entrusted the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> well, he didn't. That's why he's joking that aside. <laughs> why? What's the Postal Service like in Norway? Are they actually on their game there? Oh, no. This was when we were both in the States. This was oh, years. okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was I've only I've been here about. Let's see. When did I come over? I've been in Norway since uh, 2011. It's a while. Like, uh, Ten years now. I've got I got one more case of mistaken identity. That's a pretty good story. Okay, let's hear it. Glenn was working for Los Lonely Boys when they opened up for the Stones. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> this was a tough day. And Glenn just came. Glenn came in and he just came into production. I wasn't on the stones, but I Opie, it was uh, Opie and the gang. So all Opie and his guys are there. Glenn, and all Glenn does is come into production. He just grabs credentials, meal tickets, whatever he's doing, introduces himself really quick. Not by, I'm Glenn, that, hey, I'm the tour manager for Los Only Boys. I'm here to get the stuff. 
And then he got shot right out. And Opie's sitting there in shock, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Russ was, Russ didn't even say hello. He just comes in, grabs the stuff, and leaves. But it, a little backstory on it, Joel, is that with those guys, it was just me. So we were a three piece band from Austin playing in Austin at the, with the Stones. And <laughs> so it's just me. I have a, a front of house guy and a monitor guy and a guitar tech. And that was it. That's all we had. Yeah. So everything else was in my lap. So me trying to navigate the Stones compound with and trying to keep the band guys happy, their family coming and all of this. It was like I was it was definitely where you get into the what Russ and I call it gig mode. You're just focused. I got to get this done. I got to get the guys going. This has got to happen. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just like, we have to be professional. We have to be on time. I got to get them to the stage. I don't want anybody to complain that we were late or anything. And so, yeah. And then Opie comes to me later on. Hey, Felton. <laughs> he goes, you're not Russ. I said, no. And then he gets on the radio and goes, all right, guys, cut him some slack. It's not Russell. <laughs> then guys started coming out from all the corners going, man, we thought you were just being a jerk. And I'm like, no, just working, just working. Have you guys done, you must have done gigs together. One, two. Oh, two, if you count Lubavitch. No, I three then. Oh, okay. We did Carmen in 96. Christian tour, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not the opera, Carmen, the uh, religious pop superstar. Uh, okay. I call him the Vegas act of Christianity. Yes. Uh, what was that and, guy like? Is he nicer to you because it's a Christian act? We didn't interact with him too much. No. Good it was pop. an okay, it was just a lighting gig. Yeah. Uh, but he did arena so it was an arena tour so wow whatever. carmen yeah. huh never heard of him donations every night our production budget was based on donations every night really yeah the like quarter that's around the audience oh my god that's yeah. a hat every night as the the speech would start with religion is free but it is not freely preached and then here comes the spiel you know wow all right that's a different yeah, kind of yeah, tour. He didn't he didn't lay it on thick. I mean the tickets were free. You know, okay. people, you know, tickets were free. And then, you know, so it's not it wasn't that bad to ask for a, a donation or an offering, however you want to phrase it. I did one. I did a, I was all about the TV show Shark Tank. I was all about it. And uh God, I can't think of her name. Barbara Cochran. So Barbara Cochran is going to be in person and she's going to be up in Oxnard, which is just north of L.A. It's actually close to LSD, uh, where it used to be out here in Camarillo. So I, um, I'm all excited. I'm like, I'm going to go. And my girlfriend's kind of like, you want to go to a show type thing? I'm like, ah, but dude, Barbara Cochran, you know, Shark Tank. <laughs> so we get up there we're gonna go get a drink first make a night out of it we drive by all these weed fields now because they're growing weed in fields like acres and acres and acres of weed just outside i'm thinking how do they stop people from just pulling over and grabbing buds but I, probably with guns but anyway so we get up there and we get our drink and we get to the thing and we sit down and it's a total pump pump and dump type thing man they're just trying to get you to invest in crap and then Barbara, which I didn't wait for. I think we made it like 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm out of here. And she's like, no, give it 10 more minutes. I'm like, 
I'm all, they don't give you a break to leave because they know you will. <laughs> you, you are stuck, man. And then she apparently comes out for like two minutes at the end or something. And is like, hey, thanks for watching Shark Tank. Here's the hat. Give us money. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, uh, Carmen was a tour we did together in 96. And then I went out and actually got the, the first round with the Los Only Boys. I was hired as the production manager. Oh, that's right. I went out there with you. Yeah. And so I picked the production company. Hmm, funny. LSD. Thank you. Come on. Uh, and had them come out. And I had Manny Cabanas and uh, Russell. Hmm. Uh, my, uh, the two techs that came out with the system. So what year is that? That would have been 2005. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good run because I ended yeah. up doing lights for all the opening acts. It was a yeah. that was a lot of fun. There were some good bands on that. Yeah. And then we did a video shoot together for um, Jars of Clay at the Opry or at Ryman. Yeah, I remember. remember that. Yeah. And then oh, and then Lubavitch, which is a big Jewish rabbi gathering of 5,000 ribbies of the Lubavitch uh, organ, uh, sect or clan. What do they call it? Yeah, I don't, it's, it's, it's. A were, they handing of, out, were, were they handing out hats? <laughs> has, no, they all wear hats. No hats, it's, huh? <laughs> well, I, I did it for about 10 years. Um, oh man. Um, and it's, it's called Kinnis and it's a, uh, Basically, uh, a lot of people on my Facebook page would look forward to that time of year because I would do a because basically as they eat dinner and near the end, there's dancing. So you get it and it's it's webcast if you wanted to watch it, but I would take pictures, but it would be uh, basically 5,000 to 6,000 rabbis a year. Whoa. Dancing for about 20 minutes. It's amazing. I mean, it's but it takes we would take a well, Glenn was there. We'd take an empty warehouse somewhere in New York and turn it into a giant dining room. I mean, with chandeliers, fabric on the walls. Uh, I would have like five or six semis of production coming in. It was, uh, it was quite the thing. Having Glenn there was fun because the producer's name was David. And he would, uh, he would just yell, when I, if I wasn't there and Glenn was there, he'd go, Russell's brother, Russell's brother, where are you? <laughs> Which one of you guys are older? 11 minutes and 22 seconds older. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly wiser, too. Clearly wiser. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no. It's better to be humble and quiet, huh, Glenn? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, I hope you can edit that crap out. But there, there you go. <laughs> what can we edit to make him look smarter? We also did the switcheroos in high school, by the way. Really? Like TV show stuff? Like what'd you do? No, like oh. uh, like school. Like oh, our really? like, yeah, they no do it like trading places or whatever, the movies. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Stuff. Yeah. We'd just change t-shirts in the hallway and and one of us would either head to work or had to go work on the theater in the theater and we'd just trade out hours. Because we had our junior year, was it junior year? We had all the same teachers. Yeah, five, or, five out of six of the day, yeah. Did you get yeah. busted? No. Nope. They never, they never, didn't have a clue. Wow. You guys are slick. Well, Worked out. We, we look a bit alike, so it works for us. Yeah. And you guys are doing what now? 
Go ahead, Russ. Uh, well, I've been ever since uh, July. I've actually been actually doing production work. It's been nice. For for COVID, I did. I was a dispatcher for the food program of New York, oh, where cool. I had a team of guys delivering uh, eighteen hundred meals a day at, at our high point because they didn't. Everybody thing was locked down in New York, and it, it was with my Lubavitch buddy. So it was eighteen hundred kosher meals a day. Wow. six days a week and i would work from home and watch the guys drive around on my you know i had tracking software in the vans and i could see where the guys were all day and then uh i did did some drawings for Clearwing, helping with their installs and then uh re and i was also doing you know making ends meet i did a lot of home renovation and i did doordash and instacart to kind of fill in the gaps where i could yeah you were now, everywhere well, it was <laughs> when you got alimony and a house payment, you kind of have to make those. You gotta, yeah, you gotta grind. Yeah. And then we did, uh, but I helped, uh, there's a venue here in New York called the Brooklyn Mirage. Yeah. And I helped, I helped with the install four years ago and they called me saying, Hey, you know, this building as good as I do. The guy, Steven Weicker is his name. He's a great guy. Um, so smart. Um, but he says, I need you to help drive the crew, do what you're doing and get it back online. So that's what I did. And then um, I put together, I just came back from Rolling Loud a couple weeks ago. I do not wish to discuss the accident that happened there because it's all speculation. But I was uh, loaded in a different stage as a lighting guy and ended up as stage manager on a different stage and then went back and loaded out my stage. Uh, and then <laughs> I just finished up a giant expensive private wedding out in uh, Long Island and just the lighting budget was crazy. I can't, I can't, Again, we had to sign an NDA, so I can't go too too much into it, but it was insane. I and think the wedding us, part would be the insane part, but hey. It took us, a, well, the, we had top line artists that performed, um, and I had, um, like I said, I had four semis of production, including rigging, self-climbing. Holy they crap, for a they, wedding? Yeah. They <laughs> built, they, similar to a Met similar to a gumper structure they built like a, a a giant tent that i can hang a lot of weight in and we had 55 feet of trim in a tent so wow exactly That's a hell of a wedding yeah and it it was insane was the food good i don't know i actually didn't have to be there for the physical wedding i got to uh i was loading it in i wonder we what song they cruised in with huh wonder what song they walked down the aisle to. Oh, I have no idea. I just know that I, I had to get it loaded in and be there till doors. And then I had to come back at 8 a.m. And we basically started loadout at 4 a.m. yesterday, Monday. And I left at 8 p.m. And my guy, I think the rest of the team left at 10 p.m. So I was there through three semis. And I'm like, I got to go. I got this putting together uh 
Well, I mean, right now it's busy. I'm putting together a Firefly. Uh, I'm going to be lighting crew chief on the main stage for Firefly. And then I run uh, next week. I'm a set carpenter uh, production guy for a corporate event. And then I'm stage, uh, as of right now, I'm a stage manager uh, on Hilltop at Izu. Okay. So, and then Firefly, and then I'm looking for work in September, if anyone's listening, or in <laughs> October. Damn. October You're right, Ryan. It does talk a lot. <laughs> you asked what I was doing. I did ask. I know. And I waiting for more I'm lazy my, you are man my story is a little simpler yeah yeah i uh w- once i got over here i kept touring for quite a bit till 2014 yeah uh, my last full year of touring uh but to get my residency so i could stay in norway I yeah. took a, uh, is that you russell mr Pop. hey sorry i'm, I'm working so oh, um so uh, I had an opportunity for a full-time job here in Norway. So I could, because you have to maintain so much time in the country to get permanent residency. Makes sense. So someone came and offered me a job uh, working at a uh, logistics terminal. You know, it's just normal freight pallets, business to business operation. And uh, it was a opportunity to be the terminal manager. And I said, well, give it a shot. So I finished up the tour, came home, was home for two weeks and then started this uh, full-time gig. And so, and it's turned out to be quite nice. I mean, the, the, uh, now they've just upped my position and now I'm going to turn into the, what do they call it? A terminal specialist for the Nordics here. So we have uh, warehouses in Sweden, Denmark, Finland, and Norway. Wow, and I everywhere. will be a, uh, a logistic and terminal specialist for the Nordic region up here now. Beats the so, road or just totally different? I, I get to, well, I get to be on the road a bit. So it kind of, they know I like to travel. <laughs> uh, so they kind of like, you get to travel some. I'm like, so because for the last five, seven years, it's been just, you know, home, work, home, work, home, and work. So I've had the, now I've done my stint as the real job and but they know i get a little restless so so yeah i run a freight terminal here in norway oh cool but what a lot of people don't realize is that the the working conditions in norway are very well i'm guaranteed uh five weeks of uh, vacation every year paid that's awesome yeah the health care here is is not bad it's like i guess you could say you compare it to canada but you know i don't pay for anything so, you know, I'm actually, tomorrow I go for knee surgery. So it's, uh, that's all I free. I don't pay anything tomorrow. That's killer. Yeah. And if I need a ride home from, I got, so I guess killer would home. be the wrong word. Yeah. Let's <laughs> hope it's that's probably, yeah. probably not no, but it's, it, you know, the whole, whole lifestyle here in Norway is whatever people think is that we're socialist. It's not socialist. It's democratic socialist. You can do what you want here, but you know, everybody gets a choice. So uh yeah so it's not my uh do you guys want to hear my new joke about canada that my friend told me yesterday it isn't how to spell it is it you know the joke c-a-n-a-d-a i'd never heard it i thought that was awesome (laughs) 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 that was really good 
But do you know what a toque is? Nope. That's what they're wearing. A toque? A toque. It's a hat. You gotta put my toque on. Good to know, man. Do you know what catnip for Jews is? You can ask your Lubavitch friends. Lubavitch. 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 It's it's bagels and locks, dude. Bagels and locks is catnip for Jews. I don't know if I'd put that in the podcast. That's bad. You're going to get canceled. You're going to get canceled. Well, I'm Jewish. I went to Chabad when I was a kid. Oh, well, then there you go. See, I gotta, I'm allowed, I guess. I don't know. They'll probably you can like, make that joke then. Catnip. Catnip is disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> no, so that that's what I, I haven't. I, I got to take one artist in 2018 uh, over here. Uh, there's a DJ kid named uh alan walker uh and he's uh you know he's like uh porter robinson and those guys that produce different kinds of music and they have a different artist coming and singing on their stuff and uh he played coachella in 2018 and i just sent it i was just looking for something to to do and i sent in a my resume over to this company and they called me and said what are you doing in this country (laughs) because they saw my resume and went wow okay what i sent you sure and they were like uh you've got quite a bit more experience than some of our guys here uh would you like to come in and talk to us about a gig that we have coming up and so they uh brought me in and asked me to production manage basically uh an artist that was going to coachella and i said yeah i've done that one they're like you have Uh, three or four times whatever and also wagon wheel or whatever they call the country one after you're done stagecoach 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 yeah wagon wheel stagecoach whatever whatever it's all the same uh, part of the machine something cowboy go very fast so yeah 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 so uh you know it was easy to tell the guys what to expect and what to do so for two weeks i we flew a bunch of stuff over did a few days of rehearsals went to coachella and did both weekends of coachella and you know uh, everything was uh was that the one where it was a mix of people didn't know if it was you or me? Or yeah, you or uh, but Davy Grayson knew I was coming in. He was doing the power or whatever it was. And that was Mike Costa, I think. Or Mikey Costa, right. Yeah, exactly. Dave Mikey Grayson Costa. used to do the door, right? At LSD. Am I making stuff up? Grayson? Yeah. Grayson was back door guy. At, yeah. At one point he was working the shop, but he was also a touring guy as yeah. well. Yeah, but it was Mikey Costa. He he had me all set up on that and uh but uh, yeah, but there was people there that were, that was one of those where you walk around there and you run into people they are like, which Felton are you? You know, cause they're not sure who's coming are in. going to throw a shackle at me? <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's not always like that. It's not like that. It's just, you know, I'm walking by the main stage and then old uh, Dax, you know, Dak is running around there and uh, the, the production manager for the stage over there, he's screaming out, Hey, which Felton are you? Get over here! And so you go over and visit. And you say think they always ask because they they think that Glenn, you're going to do a better job, or well, <laughs> they just want But a lot of them have worked with both, so they're not sure which one's walking by at you know 30, 50 feet away. So it's like, which one is it? You know. Perfect example they, of that is Patrick Whitley. Yeah, yeah. Tell that. How do you tell it? All right. You tell was, it better. Yeah, yeah. I went over to uh, 
went and visited Russ on a kiss show in Nashville. I was home and I'm sitting at the, I'm sitting on the loadout on the cases, right? He had to go do his thing and I was just kind of hanging out. So Patrick Whitley, the production manager comes and dresses me down, you know, Hey, this is what we got to do on the loadout. I need this, 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 this here. We're going to do this and that. And I was just like, uh, okay, I'll let Russell know. <laughs> and he was just like, Oh man. <laughs> just wasted all that time. <laughs> the funniest no, I, part, I said, you didn't waste your time. It's I'll tell him, but you know, he's the doing funniest, the funniest part of that story is Patrick Whitley is an identical twin himself. Oh, no way. Yep. And it, in a sappy moment, he let me know that the relationship that me and my brother had made him reach out to his brother who he hadn't talked to in years. That's nice. And tried to work things out because his brother was still in Europe, like in Scotland or whatever. And then uh, this, this, hey, where'd you go? He went to cry. It's a beautiful story. Yeah, he's gear having a Kleenex. Get it. Yeah, tissues. There's an alarm going off out here. And then uh, the other, you should tell the GNR story because that's kind of, you, you know it better than I do. What year were you a GNR? <laughs> yeah. That the last been, one. <laughs> <laughs> now this was a this was GNR without the band. So this was like the first Chinese democracy run. I did that run. Did you? Yeah. And uh Ron Croom? Rock and Rio? No, no, no. This was in the US. I did the US part. Oh, so I did the first two shows. So it was Rock and Rio Vegas, and then you guys did a run. Yeah. Well, Ron Kroom was the crew chief with Gary Westcott on that one. So Ron Kroom actually has been doing all the electrical at my house here all week. I just got <laughs> off the phone with him this morning. He's the no, he didn't tell me the Canada joke, but his jokes are pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, he's been a dad joke teller for years. Oh, they're horrible, man. I've we been hearing them. Rides from, we used to get rides from the Sleazy Eight with from him and his big old lincoln oh great. sure yeah now he has like a suburban though but i remember the lincoln because it's like it's like sitting on a cop air ride yeah well they had uh on that run ron had started it and something had gone you know whatever the case was be they called me and said hey can you go out and crew chief this and i said okay so i went out and did met ron for one show and then handed over the, the that entire GNR system with me and said, here you go. And Patrick Whitley was the production manager on that as well. And, you know, when the phone call I got, I was like, Patrick Whitley knows you're coming. I said, okay, does he know which one he's going? He said, it didn't matter. As long as it was a felt and he was okay with it. And I was like, okay. So, That's roadie love if I've ever heard it before. <laughs> this, it, it's one of the films. Well, we have a same with like Tony Bullock that does like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Sure. Same thing. Send me one of the Feltons. Ah, send me one of the Feltons. Okay. So, all right. We'll go out there. Whatever you need, man. <laughs> what was Tori uh, Amos like? I like Tori Amos. Did you do it with John Evans, bass player? No. The, the runs I did were just her and the piano. Oh, how neat. Yeah, it was just her and the piano. Uh, and well, yes and no. It was mainly her and the piano. We did the first run with a, uh, a actually a proper uh, Vienna School of Music, all masters in their instruments 
string quartet. Oh, come on. How cool is that? It was very cool. They were very, it, it, there's a little bit of dynamics the, uh, that were, we had to get over in the first couple of shows. We're at the Beacon Theater and Tori's rehearsing. She knows it's the Beacon. She's all, you know, intense. And, and uh, the, one of the guys just looked at her and, you know, and said, that, hey, uh, that's not how it's, you're not playing it like it's written. And she looked up from the piano and I was just like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> she goes, and she, her glasses come down a little bit and she's like, what? She, he goes, but on the chart, it says this. And you can see the other three going. Stop. Trying, trying to wave <laughs> them off. And then Blame he, the other Felton. No, no, it wasn't. It was just, you know, I was, uh, I was production manager on that one. I and, was there actually. Yeah, yeah. And she just looks at him. She goes, do you have any idea who wrote that song? He goes, no. She goes, I did. I can play it any fucking way I want. And I was like, oh, that's my girl. She got so much respect from me right there. I was just like, yeah, she was great to work for. I loved it. So, you know, we had, she had all that same dynamic that she had with like John Evans and those guys that were playing with her that just, you know, the human loop machines. Yeah. Uh, but she rearranged everything with this guy, John Chinali out of LA uh, to be more orchestratic, you know, so it, it's more orchestra based. So he wrote all the, rearranged the songs with strings for the quartet and for her. So there was a lot of sheet music going on, but Tori, when she gets into it, it's just like, whoop. she's just going into her, her world when she's playing. And it's, it's, you know, I, yeah, she was awesome. She was she did uh, shows. Yeah, on some night I didn't know any of the music, but just watching her play and seeing how she uh, could, you know, the crowd would just—it was just always so quiet out there. Whenever she played, she would just go into it. And it was just she had some little magic around her. So it was. Yeah, she's virtuoso. I, I yeah. think she's. I think she's yeah. the bee's knees to be continued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we did the second run. The second run I did with her, we did with orchestra. So we had the full Metropole Orchestra out of uh, Amsterdam. And we did three, couple, three shows with them. Went to Poland and used the Poland National Orchestra for that one. Uh, and then came back and did Royal Albert Hall with it and did the Metropole Orchestra in there as well. That's a killer run, man. I don't know. I love classical music more and more these days, meeting some of those guys. But when you take Tory cool. stuff and you put it in with that, it was just like, it, for me, it was fun to watch her get the orchestra to like loosen up because you go into say like, like the drummers, you know, they're just reading the sheet music and playing it exactly. Yeah. In the rehearsal, she just finally got them to say, Hey, loosen up. It's okay. Relax when you play. You got to relax when you play my music a little bit. You can't be just on the paper. And so he, it, it was hard to, for some of the orchestras to figure out. I was like, just relax, check it out and play. And Who's then on that shit. Yeah. And then the last, uh, the last, uh, the last run I did with it was just her. And even those shows were fun to watch. Just her uh, playing both keyboards and uh commanding the stage for two hours every night yeah i don't know i'm jealous i think it's really neat what did you guys yeah. listen to you so you didn't know her song so what did you guys listen to when you were kids were you guys listening to the same stuff oh we were in 80s and 90s glam rock 
you know. Van Halen, Bon Jovi, you know, great white, white line, all the whites. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty much, you know, we just want to be rock kids, but we never really worked with any of that. So we were up in the Pacific Northwest in the middle of nowhere. So we were, you know, we, we started out pretty simple. The fact that you we guys, so were up- you guys locals first? Well, we did a little bit of local work and then we worked for a local light and sound company. That's who really got us going. So how'd you find LSD from there? (laughs) Oh, I can tell you that. That's Uh, one story. Yeah. And I can add to it. I was working uh, with this local lighting company where we grew up in Washington State. Music Machine. Shout out to Tom Ford here. So he gets a little shout out there. and now I think he's called Concert Production Services or something. I don't know what he's called now. What is his company, Russell? Which company? Tom Fortier. Well, I, I think he's calling it Concert Production Services now. Yeah, okay. It's, so I was right. Yeah, we so started at, it started as a music machine, which was the local music store. Dave Carpenter owned it. Tom was running the, the live production side of it. Right. And Glenn and I begged for a gig for 50 bucks a day or something stupid like that. So I was working for him in 92, 93. Uh, we ended up doing a few shows with these guys out of Nashville that were working for, uh, if you go back to it, it's uh, the uh, Electrotech. They had sound and lights at the time. And Dale Morris Leasing out of Nashville had bought all the lighting from Electrotech. And these guys were on the crew. They came through a couple times through the summer. Then they came through on a gig in uh, the arena where we were at. And I was a local that day. One of their guys was sick. And I jumped in because I already knew the guys and uh, helped them that day. And the guy came to me and goes, hey, you know, if you can get yourself, the, uh, you know, call me in two weeks and let's talk about a job for you. I went, okay. Called them in two weeks. And then I was on a plane two weeks later to head out to, uh, to head out to Nashville. I did 93, 94 and part of 95 with Dale Morris leasing out of Nashville. And then, uh, John Orchard or Orca shout out John Orchard. Um, he, he brought me in to Dale Morris, but then he was hired to start LSD in Nashville out in where were we? Smyrna or wherever it was the way out there. Smurfy's uh, a better job than the LA guys. <laughs> yeah. And then, there you go. There's my well, shout out. <laughs> yeah. And then he, uh, you know, as we were, you know, I had a gig lined up and ready to go. And he looked at me and goes, hey, is your brother want a gig? And I'm like, I'm sure he does. So I called him and said, get to Nashville. I got a gig for you. And uh-huh. then, then, then he came out and so we started. What did they pay you? $51 a day? <laughs> no, it was a little more than that, but it it's was 75 uh, plus PD. So it was awesome. I was happy to get cash PDs. I lived on that and sent everything home. I was living on a couch for like, what, two years, something like that, two, three years. Yeah. So that's how we got out to Nashville and started with, uh, you know, started with the PRG LSD fourth phase. We went through a few names there for a while. Right. And then once we got established with that one, then, you know, then they started calling us out to LA for shows out there and dumping us into tours here and tours there. And there you go. So Russ, tell me about Shania Twain. 
Shania Twain. Yeah. <laughs> I like Shania Twain. That, that was, was probably the. That was best. the creepiest way I could make it sound. By the way, it Russ, was. Tell me about Shania Twain. She was. Russ, she was wonderful. She Russ, was. Wonderful. Tell me about Elvis Costello. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. Shania Twain. I don't know. Shania was amazing. Her camp was amazing. Uh, she did everything to make sure the crew was happy. Um, it was probably the best tour that I never finished. And I regret it. Some days I regret it a lot, but I had to make a decision in my personal life. Ah, uh, one of those. Um, you know, and I needed to try and make things better on the home front. Not that it helped, but I was trying. Yeah, and uh, so I quit the tour and it just, I, I quit the tour before they went to Europe, but the run that we did it was in the round. I had a great crew. I had Chainsaw with me. Uh, his name's Mark Wookter, but ever, his voice is like listening to a chainsaw. Um, but he was great. Um, I can't remember everybody that was out there, but it was a... Chainsaw, chainsaw Rigger? Yeah. Yeah, he's out with uh, Dirk's Dirk's Gently. I mean, Dirk's Bentley. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> if he's the guy I think uh, I'm thinking of, he hates me. Ooh. Um, Chainsaw's got a pretty limited amount of people he actually likes. What is it? He threw his food at me, fucker. <laughs> that I don't know. He never <laughs> threw food at me. But we had um, like I still ate it. By the way. We were in, we were we were in rehearsals. Yeah, don't hold a grudge or anything. Um, right, it's like twenty, it's like twenty years ago. The guy. Uh, I I have one LD that I feel that way about, so that's okay. No, I don't really think I don't even know if it's the same person. So I mean, but yeah, you can talk shit about the LD. That's fine. Nah, I don't want to. The uh, I probably but, hate the guy too. But well, I think Joel, you and I may have crossed on the same plane. Maybe when where? You talk about where you were at because I listened to your, I guess it would be podcast 36 and the guys from Disturbed. The Disturbed guys. Yeah. I, try, I was a chat. Yeah. Cause you guys were talking about the 99 2000 Ozfest. Okay. Yeah. But they were on the B stage. And then, cause that was the year they flew me out to help on the main stage because Sonny uh, needed help with the, uh, he, there was something going on with the programming in the icon desk. I talked to Sonny this morning. I'm trying to get him to come on with Cat. Oh, oh, okay. Cool, right? You mean Cat, the uh, the drum tech? Cat, the drum tech. Oh, my God. Mr. Sticks? Here we need him. That yeah. guy crashed more Shoko monitors. There's like a pile in their shop because he would sit there and just... <laughs> we put zip ties on the cable pick because he kept climbing the cable. So when he slid down the last time, we angled the uh bill staten angle cut the uh zip tie so when he came down he's yelling at us my hands are all bleeding don't mess with the guys in the shop <laughs> quit climbing the cable picks is what we told him he quit climbing the cable picks after that hey it worked <laughs> and that was cat yeah yeah that was but that was uh, when I was listening, I was like, hey, I was out there the same time those guys, because you were talking about it. They were talking about it. I'm like, OK, it's it, so it's funny how, you know, you hear people say, well, I work this, I work this, I work this. And then 
you know, if you tell the, the average person, oh, I worked Ozfest, okay. Which one? Yeah, there's a lot of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I was on Ozfest and I was listening to them say where they were. And I'm like, yeah. So we were out there at the same time, but there's good odds you never met who was out there if you're on the B stage yeah, or the main stage. Might have crossed paths. I wouldn't doubt it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. What's funny is I did Ozfest either the year before or after Glenn. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. also a. You know, there's a drummer that's a twin that both Russ and I have worked with, and he thinks it's fantastic as well. Who? Kenny Kenny Aronoff? Aronoff, yeah. Kenny, yeah, Kenny Aronoff is a he. Well, when Russ worked with him, he was drumming for Michelle Branch on the Shania gig. He was also uh, for uh, Ted Nugent too. Yeah, and then um, he was the he was drumming for John. He still does drum for uh, John Fogerty when I was working for him and. <laughs> You know, he was able to come back and forth between, he was like, man, you're just like your brother, man. He's like, this is, and then he goes, I'm an identical twin. And his brother came out to a gig in uh, the East Coast where he's from. And it was just like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> was it hard working for Fogarty? He's supposed to be a bit tough. I think Glenn broke that mold. No, yeah. I had my I had my moments, but I like, I, I actually enjoyed working with him and his, uh, me and his brother, Bob. We got along very, very well, and yeah. I worked uh, the best I could for John. I've only, you know, and, you know, to make sure that whatever John was requiring, that it was good to go. Uh, I don't say that he's tough to work for. You just have to understand that he knows exactly what he wants. Yeah, I heard his wife's then, a bit tough. You know, Julie and I, I have, I cannot say, uh, she actually stood up for me. So I can't say an absolutely an ill word about her because I never had any problems with her. That's I just fair. made things happen. Uh, we were in South America and he liked the, uh, for example, he liked hot water to wash his hands. Okay, great. I made sure that, you know, we're in these iffy arenas in South America and it's like, well, the water kind of works. It was working two hours ago. Now it's not. And had a plumber in there making sure there was hot water in his dressing room. And it was on. I felt it. Everything was set up. Julie was at the venue. She knew she was sitting in production and listening to me working on this all day just to make sure the water was hot. And then he came in to wash his hands and, and did sound check, came into production and just said, there's no hot water. And he was he was a, he was a tad upset. OK, maybe he was elevated. Uh, and, <laughs> but Julie uh, helped me with the situation because I don't want to argue with the guy because obviously there's no hot water and I can tell him what I've done all day, but you know, it's, he knows exactly what he wants and well, it wasn't Sultan, fair. There's a bad moon on the rise, son. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he just, uh, he, he, you know, and Julie just said, you know, it was the greatest. I still remember it. Now, Johnny. Glenn's been working on this all day. I've been sitting here listening to him, fighting with the building and getting this done. And it was there. If somebody's turned it off, he can't control that. And he come over like a little kid and be like, I'm really sorry, Glenn. And me be really no, 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 no. He's really he just, mad at me, Glenn. It's really mad. Just give me a no, hug no. so she can it see. Was, we'll do it. He didn't say much. He just, <laughs> and then walked out. <laughs> so That's he an apology. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I loved working for the Fogarty organization. I had no complaints. Do you I guys have it. any good wind-up stories? 
Like, in what regards? To each other? No, just being an oh. asshole on the road. Oh, oh. show oh. antics, last show shenanigans. I can remember. Yeah. I put a full gross of uh, ping pong balls above a keyboard player the opening act one time. Rigged it up so we could pull it on the last. Just cover the guy in ping pong balls. That was pretty good. <laughs> what was the opening act? It was uh, Chris Ledoux. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, country, you know, great guy. He went too early. Uh, and then, oh, Russ, the uh, confetti cannons with the keyboard player on Carmen. Oh. Now, this girl, oh. I think you will, you would have reached. Like. Okay, I'm ready. Wait, wait, wait. You would go and do this focus. You got to tell the whole thing. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting okay. there. Uh, the keyboard player was at first put on the lighting bus. And it's like, oh, you put the muso with the crew. Okay. Maybe not the best idea. He, he moved it. in the front lounge. I mean, his, and it was his first tour. Oh my God. His shit was everywhere. He just like spread out like the plague, you know, and it was just like, good Lord. And then he would, you know, he'd fall asleep. It's like, dude, warning. No falling asleep in the front lounge. That's the rule. You gave him a warning or was the warning markers? No, no. no, 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 no. We had to give him a warning. He was part of the band. So I understand. Had to give him a little bit of grace. Yeah. So, and it's, and it's like, dude, you got to pick up your stuff because this isn't your front lounge. There's nine, 10 other guys on the bus. So you need to, you know, make yourself small. All the dildos need to go back in the bunk, bud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so you know and he's out on this tour and of course he's all wrapped up in the artist and the and the vibe of it and he thinks he's a you know everybody thinks they're a big deal and it's like it, that's okay but on this crew bus we're just the johns here man you don't you know there's no special treatment we're not gonna do anything for you you're a hell of a pep talk guy Glenn. yeah, yeah i feel so good about myself after that it's what they say. what do they say now you're setting expectations yeah exactly oh that's a nice so, way to put it yeah exactly so you know we finally just at the end of the tour we would go up and do the focus it'd be me russ tim shivoni and we'd run around and do this quick focus every day and and you know double check and we had these we had to manually fill these old confetti cannons with air every morning. And then we'd go after the rig was up, we'd go up and just kind of tilt them down so it looked like they were going. Yeah, but nobody noticed on the last gig that we took two of them, maybe packed them a little extra and uh, pointed them into the keyboard pit because it was an in the round stage and we just kind of lined and it up. Every, every band member was in their own little pit, but we okay. took two cannons and, and cross-fired right into the center of the keyboard pit and it was <laughs> you couldn't have you couldn't have planned it any better because as soon as that confetti cue went it was just these two giant orbs of confetti coming out of the cannon just and he didn't see anything coming it, it could have been a movie effect or whatever it looked like he had a flak jacket on because it hit him in the chest hit him in the back and it was just this big of confetti and we were just sitting there we were crying it was like i can't believe this is that worked you know this, we didn't because this was the age that maybe the confetti cannons didn't fire every night but that night 
They <laughs> sure did. <laughs> this was, but the same night, because see, we had a, this was a, I think it was the gig. It was the second to last gig, if I remember right. We had, um, because the last gig was a stadium show and it was stress and Carmen out. So we figured that screwing around on the last show probably wouldn't be good. So we picked the second to last one. Yeah, we picked the last uh, arena switch show. Switch it up a bit, yeah. yeah. So we did the last arena show. Well, so was he afraid on the last show? <laughs> no. Around? No, we got it all out of our system. We were doing we... the Georgia Dome. So No, Astrodome. Or the Astrodome. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember yeah, yeah. we both repelled out of there? Yeah, yeah. 300 feet repel. That was fun. That's cool. Um, we did... Uh, that second to last show, we also went up as there was a uh, kind of like a copy of a thriller song. So we all went up as uh, as uh, like zombies. <laughs> there was twice as many zombies running around the stage. Oh, and remember when you and I uh, attacked Captain Righteous or whatever his name was? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he comes out and slays the demons. Well, that night the demons fought back. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is like the, this is the Christian tour. Yeah. yeah. So the guy yeah. comes out and he slays demons. There, there's oh, a yeah, whole. Yeah, there yeah. was a whole script. A comic book hero and all of this. So yeah, it was Bible Man. Bible, Bible Man. Man, and he would. Was it? So a Bible <laughs> Man pops out and he starts slaying stuff, and then you guys are like, we go out and like, hell. All the representations of hell are the roadies. That, that's yeah, fitting, the by the way. Down. We, we knocked the them down for the dancers and went out and did the whole thing and then fought back. <laughs> we fought back with bible man and he was dying underneath the stage was a whole changing area he was crying he was like oh my god i didn't see you guys coming and that was awesome because we took him out and you, you know the mc was like well and that's about all he got out <laughs> there's supposed to be this whole thing afterward and he couldn't he didn't know what to say because we were Don't dragging try that bible shit man with off. the jew guys dude the jewish guys will shoot you <laughs> <laughs> yeah could be uh, you know but as for most i've never done anything really you know that could harm somebody yeah. or really ruin a show but you know every now and then the tape on the on the keyboard rig the clear tape underneath the keys on the keyboard rig so when he comes up and hits that first note it's all the keys that go or none of the keys <laughs> that go down that's uh, that, that that that's a fun one because it's very ever so subtle and you're just like Okay, I can fix this really quick. Now you're good. <laughs> I had a, I had a weird. I I wouldn't call it a wind up, but it was like a revenge thing with Gene Simmons one time, which was good. What do you got? Because, well, as you know, somehow I got cornered into helping him get a harness on, and then I would follow him out and hook him up for the fly gag. Okay. Because I. You know, in rehearsals, I was standing there with nothing to do. So production said, tag, you're it. So I would go out and over the years, Gene would get drug into the front of the truss. Something would go. I mean, it was like watching a painted, you know, pinata get slammed into the truss all the time. And he would come down and he would yell at me or he'd yell at Spike, the bass tech. And uh, we, you know, I got into let me try and fix it mode. And one time he just told me, look, if you don't know, just yell back at me. You don't know. And I said, okay. And uh, so one particular night, Gene just, I mean, like full speed right into the truss. I'm just like, I'm Ooh. looking at like going, 
this ain't gonna go well when he comes down. I don't know. I don't. Oops, and too late. He comes down and goes, what the fuck happened? And I just looked at him straight face with a smile on my face. And all I hear is Spike over here going, oh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, you see him get, and then he just turned around so I could take the harness. <laughs> Did you do it again the next day or he wouldn't let you anymore? Need a new guy. Oh, no, he wouldn't talk to me for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> he just said, go get Bugsy, go get Patrick, whoever was the production manager at the time. So it was, go get whoever. I'm like, okay, no problem. I can do that. <laughs> but he told me one time in catering, he's like, you know how come I don't yell at you? And I go, because I'm a good guy. And he goes, no. <laughs> he goes, you hook me up. You come out, you put the harness on me. You're the last person I want to have a bad day. And I'm like, okay. So he goes, there's anything you need? Anybody giving you grief? You let me know. And it'll be taken care of. I was like, wow. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So what do you think? I didn't Gene pay Simmons for laundry. No people like a zombie guy. Maybe Gene Simmons is Bible man. He's like, I got you. <laughs> no, just Gene was he was pretty serious because he heard I was kind of unhappy at one point and that I probably wouldn't come back. And he just goes, Whoever's got to go, whatever you need, you need to stay out here because I don't want to train another person to do this. Well, sir, so. I hate to be awkward, but his name is Paul Stanley. I <laughs> don't really like him. Yeah, <laughs> and the other guy is Ace. I, I mean, don't know that Ace guy. guy has a bit of an attitude. Well, I was out there, I was out there for the went for when Peter and Ace were back out there um, through 2000 and Ace hung out up until Australia and it became evidently clear that Tommy was going to slip back into that role. So it was a, it, it was a great time to see the original members play, but it was also cool because now Tommy's playing guitar. So it's really cool that I worked with Tommy as the tour manager or he was the, the tour manager and it was great i thought he was he had the band's best interest but he was yeah. also just really good i mean there was one time where he told ac was playing something wrong it's like nope i was in a kiss tribute band you're playing that wrong that's great no i'm not i'm playing it right tommy takes the guitar no it goes like this and then they found some recording of the song and played it and ace is like ah. <laughs> <laughs> how long was, was he playing it wrong for i it i mean i wouldn't have known but tommy was trying to make it because they were trying to do the you know those 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 songs that they all played together so they were trying to make it sound because they've changed it all a little bit as the years go on but they were just trying to make it sound more original like the four of them used to play but were you out with the ken bar on that what did sound he guy? do sound Wow. You know, there were so many people that ran through the door. There was only in 96, we ran through so many people that we had to start numbering the lighting guys. 14. 14, exactly. Um, we we got to a point where this guy, Mike Tangden, come out, came out, and I love Mike Tangden. But he walks in the door, and uh, basically there's this kid on stage going, whoa, what's he doing? <laughs> I looked at him and said, taking your bunk. 
<laughs> he goes, what? Yeah, you're gone. I wasn't crew chief, but I knew he was gone two days before it happened. And uh, so Tangden walks in. Security, his name was Tony, puts a, puts a silk on him, and it just says LSD lighting guy number 14. And he goes, when you're here two weeks, we'll get you a laminate. And he's like, couldn't believe it. And so everyone just called, no one wanted to learn his name. So everyone just called him 14. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of stuck. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. But I love Mike. He was a great guy. I know the name. Because I got, I I got hurt. I got burnt out there. Uh, I got hit by pyro. Um, because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'll admit to being 50% at fault, though the spotters didn't see me, long story. But I ended up getting second and third degree burns all the way up my arm. And instead of leaving the tour, my crew chief just looked at 14 and says, whatever he was doing, climbing, you have to do now. (laughs) Who's the pyro guy? Oh, Jesus. That was a long time ago. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I, I used I used Russell's uh, when Russ told me that I heard about fourteen, uh, and when I was out with Fogarty, I used it as well because John was going through a lot of monitor guys, and so finally this kid came out and, and, and we had been in rehearsals, did one show, and I already went through like four monitor guys, and I'm like, okay this guy comes out and I just, all I could think of was Russ's story. And I just, this guy, uh, Steve Barnes out of LA, he's a great kid. And he was a kid. He was at the time he was only 21 when he came out to me and I'm like, okay, does your mom know you're out here? And he goes, uh, <laughs> and I just said, Hey man, I looked at him and I totally did the story. I said, I'm just going to call you 14. He goes, why? And I said, well, you're like the 14th guy that's been in the monitor position since I've been working for John. And uh, so I'm just going to call you 14. So for that whole tour, Hey, 14. Finally, John asked me one day, he goes, why do you call Steve 14? I said, well, you know, since I've been out here, you've gone through at least that many monitor guys. That was one time I saw him like smile, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And there was, we had some production problems at one gig in South America. He walked off stage that night. He looks at me and goes, that happens again. We'll be looking for 15. (laughs) John's full of jokes, man. He's a, she's a joke. Oh man. That's awesome. He totally was like, I was just like, oh my God, John, we'll fix it. But that's, you know, I was like, okay, that was fantastic. I was just, whew. That's awesome. and I talked to the the poor uh, Steve that night. He goes, "That was rough, man." I said, "Yeah, let's see what we can do to fix it tomorrow. We got another shot at it tomorrow." He he didn't tell me to send you home today, so let's see what we what do I need to do? And then as the production manager, he said, "I need to get this fixed." And so I went to the production company. We didn't have our gear with us, so it was a bad production day. And so I went to the promoter, and we fixed it. The next day, it was. Everything was tip top magoo, and uh, yeah, John never said anything. So, what about Bonnie Ray? I like Bonnie Ray, she's sweetie, right? Yeah, she actually is. She's uh, I, I really enjoyed working for her, and that's where 
I kind of got my kick into production managing and tour managing because her production manager is Kai Cabot. Okay. Uh, who is off? He, he's such an influence. He's actually the godfather to my daughter. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I love this guy. And he gave me great opportunities, lots of mentorship, tips. You know, he's a brother. <clears throat> so uh, he brought me out in 99 and just was very happy with how I was programming the icon desk and, and taking the time to make the show, you know, quiet. I had inherited the, the current show from somebody else. And so I was trying to go through their programming and, okay, what, what's going on here? And, you know, and he came out to me and said, hey, you've done more in two days of rehearsal than the other guy did in 12 months. So you're staying. And he gave me two rules. <clears throat> he said, don't ever lie to me. And if, uh, if you ever do lie to me, you're fired. Just admit something's wrong, we'll fix it. I don't have time. He goes, I don't have time for bullshit. I like you and I want you to stay. So just if you fuck up, say you fuck up. Okay. So that's all I've ever done with him. And I've used that along the way as well with new guys say, Hey, if you break something, tell me if something messes up, tell me we fix it. Don't hide it. If you hide it, then there's a problem. Sure. I use, I used it at my current job as well. So, uh, that was one. It was, uh, Charlie Hernandez taught me. It was, uh, it doesn't matter <laughs> if they're under you and they fuck up, you fucked up. Yep. <laughs> Your problem. You fixed it. So we fix it. And so, but, you know, so, but working for Bonnie was, uh, wow, what do you want to call it? It was, she's a pro. Yeah. She loves, you know, and she loves her band and she loves the crew guys and everybody is somebody to her. She remembers everybody's names because I did a couple of runs with her in 2000 and 99 and in 2000, I did some stuff for her in 2001 and, and, and then I saw her again a couple of years ago here in, in Norway, oh, uh, wow. at No Blues Festival. And it was like I hadn't left the tour. Did you ever see her perform with John Prine? Yeah, he came out a couple of times. But I've also seen, but when I was with uh, Los Only Boys, John Prine would come out and open for us from time to time. Ooh, very good. Cool. Yeah, so you're just like, okay. When you get into the singer-songwriter stuff, I'm not a musician whatsoever, but, but, you know, I heard the, you know, Bonnie talks about John Prine all the time and, and, you know, so, and then working with Kev Moe the same way, Kev Moe worked with Bonnie quite a bit and, you know, did some stuff with Jackson Brown too. So that circle is pretty small right there with the talent that comes in and out and in and out. And you're just like, yeah, okay. This is, so when John Prine came out, I was like, I know he doesn't know who I am, but I'll make sure he's taken care of today. He's not yeah. even my concern, but hey, make sure his dressing room is tops. Give him this one, you know, but you don't work for him. I said, that doesn't matter. Just make sure John Prine is taken care of. Cool as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what about the Zach Brown band guys? I, I was very, I was on that and I'll just, you know, people say, ah, oh, you didn't work for Zach Brown. I worked for Zach Brown for a very, uh, it was a very short time. They were just getting to where they were coming out of the opening act to being this big headliner, you know, chicken fried was just starting to just rock it up and they were opening for us on Los Only Boys. And they asked me to come out and uh, tour manage them for a bit 
the boys were going on a break and I said, yeah, okay, I'll come out. Let's, let's, I hope this works. Uh, the band, fantastic. Zach, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that's just one of those gigs where it didn't click all with on all the parts. So, you know, they, they wanted to go another way and I said, eh, that's okay. But it was fun. Uh, amazing group of guys to work with. And I also had a great time. Uh, I'm actually in the, if you, what's that one? Uh, toes in the sand. Uh, you know, oh, I got yeah. my in the water, ass in the sand, whatever it is. I'm in that video. <laughs> Are you sleeping? <laughs> no, no. I'm one of the hillbillies with some throwing axes. So I was hillbilly number seven or whatever you want to call number it. Number 14. That's what you can say hillbilly number 14. Number 14. Uh, yeah. So in the, around the middle of the video, you get a good shot of me. I got these throwing axes and it's all slow-mo and, da -da -da, and then we're chasing some guy on some ATVs. So I vaguely but, remember, I like that band a lot. Yeah. They, you know, super talented. Every single yeah. one of them. You got the guitar player was Clay Cook, uh, who came in the same time as I did. And Clay uh, is related to the, uh, his uncle is in one of these jam bands, Marshall Tucker. Oh, killer. Yeah. And then Clay Cook actually went to Berkeley with like uh, John Mayer. And he's actually written, oh. he actually wrote parts of that neon record. Oh. with John Mayer yeah so he's a he's a talented songwriter player he plays everything uh and then the rest of the guys in the band are all just monster musicians yeah, Jimmy the player John Hopkins the bass player all those guys were just uh mad players and then Zach himself is quite the player yeah but even at, yeah even after I left that I kept in good he's one of the artists that I've had some that I've kept some contact with because Tori was playing in Atlanta where he lives and all of a sudden the promoter comes to me and goes hey uh this artist uh wants to come tonight but he wants to know if he can come into the dressing room area and I'm like who wants to come in and she goes well this you may not know who he is but it's Zach Brown I'm like oh it's Zach okay you want me to text him she goes you know him yeah I got his number right here I can talk to him and I'll tell him what I can do for him and he she was like oh she goes, this is going to be easy. I said, no problem. Uh, and if you've been to Atlanta, it's Ruthie Marshall. She's like the best, one of the best promoters to work with while you're in Atlanta. So uh, well, I texted him. Maybe you and him can come over here and keep doing the electrical in my house because Ron's doing a really shitty job. <laughs> well, that's Ron. So. Yeah. The closet light still doesn't work. Can you imagine what I have the, to live with, man? Turn on the stove. Ronnie's the best in your price range. I drive and paid him. <laughs> you know me well. You know me well. But uh, well, you're Jewish, right? Hey, whoa! Hey. What was it? Catnip for Jews. Mmm, salmon. Yeah, but uh, Zach, Zach, the whole Zach Brown organization was pretty awesome. I enjoyed it immensely. So. Yeah, I, I I am a fan. I just uh, that, that Highway 51, 50 something, Highway something song. Uh, I thought it was just so beautifully written. Oh, Highway 20 Drive. Highway 20 Drive. Okay, obviously I'm a huge fan. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know I mean, the name of the song, but making but, up lyrics. Just really strong well, musicians and. Uh, I was yeah yeah I was on the I was sitting on the bus with them when they wrote the 
Well, Highway 20 Drive is him and Wyatt is his buddy songwriter. They sit and write together. They wrote that one. And that one was a story of the relationship that Highway 20 Drive to go get your kid every other weekend and dealing with divorce and heartbreak. And, and you know, that, that was a pretty emotional. And then I was sitting, while I was out there, they wrote that, uh, you know, Colorado, uh, that love song that they released. And when Colorado the, Drive? Uh, I can't remember no, the no, name. I at the moment but uh uh but they wrote this one uh colder winter that's the name of the song okay but they wrote that one while i was out there and i mean they wrote it on the bus uh, as a all of them did and they played it like two days later at a gig and the crowd went nuts they the crowd had never heard it no one had ever heard the song and they played it on stage and the crowd just went absolutely nuts hey we just wrote it, it was one of those where hey we just wrote this want to hear it and the That's crowd gotta be like the most exhilarating feeling that you literally just finished you know what it's like costco when they have the croissants ready and yet they're still warm yeah, yeah. Or crispy creams mm. with the lights on yeah. and the rotisserie chickens just come out just a warm smell all right so um i was going to put together podcasts if you guys have seen a couple of them which it sounds like you guys have um, I try to ask everybody the same question and it came from my buddy's daughter who's in fifth grade and she was with her little friends and she said that I need to ask everybody on the podcast when they first felt famous. So to make it broader because we're talking about a, a young lady, um, when did you first feel good about yourself? You were on the right path. There was a moment that was integral to your success, something that happened to you that stands out as a story worth telling. Can I, I'll go first. Yeah, please do. You're supposed Thank to be wiser. So let's see. Yeah. Age before beauty. 11 minutes, man. 11 minutes. You want me to go for 11 minutes and 22 seconds? I can string this one out. Hey, Joe, <laughs> talk we can, so I much. Can you talk so much, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn was, I have to say, Glenn was sitting there. Glenn was yabbing away. That's true. Yeah. Just, yeah. and I didn't interrupt. Yeah. Nice. It, the, uh, the first twin out is usually the one that wasn't wanted. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, <laughs> brutal. Brutal. Man, a few words, but the punches. <laughs> well, the second one out is usually the leftovers. That's all I'm saying. Remember that in twins? That was it. You're telling me I'm the leftovers. <laughs> so my first that I knew that I was in a really cool spot was I had just gotten back from doing a John Tesh gig <laughs> and sitting for a week in DC in a blizzard. I flew into Nashville and at the time my beeper goes off to call the LA shop. So I call Barry and he goes, you're leaving in eight hours. You need to get on a plane and come to LA. And I go, what am I doing? Cause I, at, at that point I'd just been doing like simple tours one-offs, nothing crazy, uh, country tours, weekend warrior stuff. And uh, he goes, I hear you know how to work with automation and you're good with I and moving lights. And I go, yeah. And so, okay, here's your flight. Someone's going to pick you up. Don't ask any questions. It was all very secret, secret, like what the heck's going on? Well, I ended up <clears throat> flying into L.A., no one, the, the driver that picked me up was told not to tell me or talk to me about anything. So it was just get in the van, don't ask any questions, 
and we drove to like, I want to say it was Barker hangar. I don't remember exactly, but it was a hangar. And, uh, and one of the, there's a kiss video or something on YouTube where they talk about the fire engine that's extended out into the hangar. That's when I had walked into kiss rehearsals is that they had just set something on fire in the ceiling. <laughs> and I had walked in and all I saw, I had two bags. I had no idea what I was walking into. So basically fresh off the farm, doop -de doo oh shit. And I walked into kiss rehearsals and I was just like, what have I, I, I went from like minor league to major league, like in 24 hours. I was just like, oh. and that's when I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. So you were a big Kiss fan growing up? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, fun. no, but I, but the scope of the gig and like all of a sudden, because this was like all over in the news at that point, Kiss doing a reunion tour after MTV Unplugged. It was oh, for it was me. Yeah, it was when they put the makeup back on. So it was that 96, 96 reunion tour that just was we sold out everywhere for like, I didn't see home for like 15 months. Wow. So, I had yeah. that a bit with, uh, when guns, when I went out with guns, Glenn, uh, it was, uh, my grandma had cut out of the newspaper and she's like, this is from your band, you know, cause they were talking about them touring and that was cool. I was like, yeah, grandma, you know, that's good. It's good. It's nice. Yeah. I for me, I guess you got a, a, a little bit of looking into uh, the, the it, as much as a road guy can be famous, you know, not going to be the mangler, you know, the guy that was, you guys talked about the, the, the tour manager for uh, Amy Lou, you know, the guy still, oh, Bobby. yeah, he's still like 80 years old and still the road mangler, the original, the guy that was the Graham Parsons guy, uh, he's infamous but uh, oh, oh, oh 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 i'm sorry yeah 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 bobby schneider yeah. told the story though it was yeah uh, yeah i think he did i remember yeah, the yeah. story something like that and uh uh when i was out with the jars of clay guys and we actually it was so funny we were doing the tour and the one town where russ and i are from is called kennewick washington it's in the southeast corner of the state you know 40 50 000 people whatever but when that got home and uh that city was on the tour list i was like are you kidding me and i pointed it out to my production manager and said that's my hometown he goes what do you mean i said born and raised there i can't believe we're playing that arena there that is insane and so on that gig somebody on the other screen here had let the newspaper know <laughs> that i was going to be in town with this band and so there was a little bit of an article on it and I got quite a bit of uh, feedback on the article at that time. And it was, that's where you're like, okay, you know, it was a lot of the guys we went to school with. It was like, yeah, we knew you guys, this was where you guys were headed. So good for you guys. So that was the first taste of, yeah, okay. I'm headed the right path. That's good. Yeah, I was, I was home on a break and the, the photographer, there was a guy, what well, we, it, the newspaper's called the Tri-City Herald. And I was home and I'd, I'd seen him at a thing. And I go, hey, you guys want an interesting, uh, you know, he goes, are you looking for stories? He goes, we're always looking for stories. And I said, my brother's coming in with jars of clay. And that hits the, 
religious side and the Christian, you know, Christian music, a little family friendly kind of event. You can put that in the paper and then Glenn being a hometown guy, you know, and he was eating it up. He's like, do we want to call him first? I go, absolutely not. Just show up. It'll be fine. And that's exactly what they did. It totally blindsided Glenn. It was, it was great. Oh, that's good. I was, yeah. I, I thought I had the article. I actually have the article clipped out somewhere. I thought I had it, but it was actually um, a different one because they entered, Glenn was talking about Tom Fortier, the guy that hired us. And uh, I had that article sitting out where it talks about um, he's how proud of he is of Glenn and I. And, but I thought I had the other one where he's, they've got him like stuck in a lighting rig trying to, fix things oh great <laughs> there yeah, you go that's gonna make pretty, you feel famous trying to fix yeah yeah hanging vl5s and icons and okay don't take the picture with the icon all torn apart please thank you <laughs> guy, oh. yeah it was jim rungi jim rungi's the one who told the emmy Lee, uh, yeah you know. the the other validation for me in the business I, I was out with peter frampton in 2013 and i got nominated that the, that year for the top dog awards uh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, I got nominated for production manager of the year that year. So that was a kind of a, for me, that was okay. You got accepted uh, from your peers that you're doing a hell of a job. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, I'll take it. You know, so uh, that was a, that was a nice thank you. I knew it was a long shot for me <laughs> to get it, but you know, there was some heavy hitters on that list. And I'm just like, I don't know how I got nominated, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, people see what I'm doing. Great. Okay. Thank you, Kai. Yeah, I don't know who, <laughs> I don't know who put me in, but I'm glad somebody, you know, somebody did. So for me, that was a bit of, Hey, I got nominated right on. Okay. Somebody saw, saw what I was doing. That's, so, um, that's another family to think about for your podcast is Kai Cabin, his brother, Roger. Sure. They both are in production. And then there's the Eller twins, which are video guys here in New York. They're identical twins that tour as well. Is it, is it fair to ask you a question? Sure. I just did. Yeah, I did. But what about why do you do the podcast? Why, what brought you to? So initially people? what it was, I was know. I wrote the book because I had uh, cancer and skin cancer and I had, I had melanoma. And so I was like, man, if I was to die, all my nephews would know is that I sell a lot of stuff on eBay and I sell a lot of memorabilia. <laughs> so I was sort of like, maybe I should hanker down and finish this book I was working on. And I was working on the book because uh, Michael Grace, he wrote Poltergeist. I had him on here. Mm. And he always said, write a book, write a book about being a roadie. Well, I went through all my notes because I bought a laptop and I went through all of the laptop notes <clears throat> and I had great stories in there. I was just reminiscing about myself. I wrote the book for the nephews and then it was pretty funny, man. So I started upping it, making it funnier, changing things, but just keep upping it. And uh, the book fucking, I don't know if you guys saw, but yesterday, 1 million pages of that book have been read on Kindle as of yesterday. Wow. Yeah, I saw, I saw the link that you're like in the top 10. So I was, it was the number one new release on Amazon. It was in the top 10 forever. And then yesterday it went up to top 10 again. So I'm kind of like, well, this is actually kind of fun. So that's why I've been doing it. 
I don't know if there's an end game. You know, the agent's idea was that I could sell it to serious radio, but the truth is, is bullshit. There's a million fucking podcasts, man. It's not true. It's, I mean, that was the statistic I saw the other day. I listened to quite a few of them. I listened to the, you know, the Joe Rogan bro club. So I listened to the guys that are on his all the time. And they, they they say, you know, same thing, million podcasts out there. Literally millions. So, I mean, there's not, so now I don't know, but I'm enjoying it. Um, just I'm, I'm reminiscing talking to people right now it's a full-time job especially with no editor but i just i kind of got my chops down from editing it's only been four days of editing but i'm not exactly editing top gun so i can cut and do it i'm actually saving more time by calling him and like can you do this can you do this right so i'll get the pattern down and then we'll see where it goes a friend of mine is talking about uh i might turn some of the stories animated and then do an animated version oh my god I'll see if I do it or not, but that would that could be fun. But if I kind do like it, a cartoon strip or like a an actual no, like, like an animation, so we'll tell the story in full animation where everybody. Yeah, in. yeah. I've seen uh, a couple of those, and it's uh, th- there's a couple of guys that do it that are just really good. They're really good. So I, I'm, the I'm audio about that. I like that, but I'd have to cough up money. If I cough up money, that means I want to make money, and it's really tough. I mean, there's just too much. That's, that's when as you build then that's when you get your sponsors and you get your ad reads i have one the cheese company sponsors me and they give me uh they give me a couple bucks a month but honestly he's my buddy and he's just supporting me by being a bro and then i get free beer so that's why i still kept going was the free beer so that yeah. answer your question i don't really know but it was uh so far so good i don't know if it's helping the book or not i don't think it really is to be honest but it's a good excuse <laughs> So. Well, you know, send us all the uh, send us all the hashtags and where you're at. And so when we they're in the uh, did you email me or did you Facebook in the end? I think I, one of you guys sent me all your resumes and stuff. It's in the signature. It's everything. OK, well, then when this gets all going, we'll make sure that we we drop it in there because yeah, we got a few please, friends in here and there. Yeah. So if you have any cool memorabilia, let me know. I kind of stopped telling people because no roadies do. But then the second thing was uh, I do, but it's all up in the attic really depending on what you have i'll buy it i don't want shirts and stuff if you want to sell them i'll show you how to do it on ebay and make top dollar but i'm looking for like (laughs) age used stuff so like uh, i have the original handwritten sheet music to pink floyd the wall i sold uh i sold jay i I sold robert de niro's boxing gloves from raging bull um i've sold a piece of the delorean so i'm doing like really high-end shit yeah yeah i don't uh i have little bits and bobs so I've got yeah, a... I mean, I'll sell guitar picks if you got enough of them, but I usually ask the guitar techs. Uh, eBay, they're really easy to ship. I've done a million dollars in eBay sales. So. I got I got uh, over a thousand different picks from ones I collected from. I got all kinds of shit. I'll buy them if you want, but I mean, that's the kind of stuff you should keep for your kids. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm not looking to get... I, there's nothing I'm that, looking to get. I mean, when I bought it, I spent $10,000 on guitar picks and I bought like 100,000 guitar picks. I got yeah, Gavin yeah. Menzies. I mean, crazy amount of guitar picks. There's some Dude. guys that just have some mad collections, but I mean, I've got show posters, but it's like from Bonnie and stuff like that. And like from House of Blues when we played all those. And then I got some hatch print stuff from, you the know, stuff from I'm Peter. looking for is stage used guitars, uh, just really high end stuff at this point, because honestly, I haven't been doing it as much. I'm just burned out. I don't really want well, to. Yeah. As a production manager and tour manager, all I got a bunch of old routers and yeah right hey, i got routers and shitty printers and old scanners i've got uh used I, on did, st- I did three years of further and i've got some great posters from them like 
we did three nights at Red Rocks. And oh, so, yeah. you, so, and every, every show, the production manager got a local artist to make those nights posters. <clears throat> yeah. I have uh, 25 or so Dave Matthews ones from Red Rocks that are the same. They're all drawn up. They're really nice. Someone, I just, yeah. just got them actually. Mine were, friends. mine were, mine, I only have one, but it's three nights. And you, if you bought all three, it makes the background of Red Rocks. That's and super it, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, all that's... sitting in special bags and they're all 50 and lower are the numbers because the crew and the band all got the posters first and then they sold the rest. So no, if 50 and lower on a further poster, then you know it was from a crew member or the band. That's cool. They're all, they're all numbered on the back. So uh, I... I know that uh, we're kind of at the end of this. I'm going to have to, yeah, sure. it's it's getting close to uh, sleepy time here for the old man because I have a surgery in the morning. Well, I hope your surgery goes well. I really appreciate yeah. your guys' time. Or, sure. Orthoscopic, uh, it's just a torn, uh, what do you call it, meniscus? Meniscus. <laughs> so it's just a simple orthoscopy, but, you know. Well, give Chainsaw a big kiss and tell him I'm missing <laughs> I talk to him all the time, believe it or not. Hey, Joel, this was fun. Thank you very much for inviting us on. Hey, thanks for watching Party Like a Rockstar. If you're not already subscribed to the Facebook or YouTube channels, do it. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is Party of Stars. Thanks for watching. You'll see you next time.